is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. And this is the Indiana Bible College Podcast. We're so grateful to be settling into this semester. We have just under 275 students enrolled or attending part-time on campus, as well as our online learning program continues to grow. And our IBC and Espanol certificate program has seen a record enrollment of 62, bringing the total number enrolled this year in the IBC family at 442 students. We're grateful for what God is doing, and thank you for your support and all that you do as a faithful listener and supporter of IBC. Today, we're going to have our Executive Vice President, Reverend Jason Gallion, preaching an incredible message titled, Waiting for a Chinook. You may be seated. I'll never forget the day that I walked into the museum. I stood staring at these beautiful paintings of a well-renowned artist in Helena, Montana. His name is Charles Russell. Former cowboy turned artist, turned professional painter. And one day while he was out on the range in the middle of winter, the owner of cattle reached out to him and asked him, how fair my herd. Over 5,000 cows were in starvation mode. Exceptional winter in 1888 in Montana caused massive amounts of snow. Cattle were dying left and right. Instead of filling out a report and sending it to those powers that be in the big city far off, Mr. Russell simply sketched out on a worn piece of paper this very picture. It showed the picture of a cow that is gaunt, scrawny, dying, starving to death, standing in deep snows, winds howling, and the wolves had gathered. The simple description at the bottom of the page, which spoke ten thousands of words, was waiting for a Chinook. Those of you that don't know the Chinook is a Japanese trade winds that begins to blow at random intervals, occasionally in the middle of the coldest, darkest winter nights. I experienced this personally, not starvation, but the Chinook winds. Our boys were just small. My wife had put them in bed, and I decided that I was going to be adventurous and do some cross-country skiing. So in the middle of the Alaska winter, I packed my skis and my gear and drove out to the edge of town. I locked my skis into my boots and began that long trek high upon the mountain of Hilltop. And after an hour or two passed, I began to notice something very strange. That night, as frigid, below zero temperatures chilled my body, something miraculous almost began to happen. I felt something drip off the end of my nose and not really even knowing what to make of it, I realized that I was profusely sweating in this sub-frigid zero temperature. The higher I climbed up that hill, the more I began to realize that something has changed in the weather around me. I began to hear what sounded like rain dripping off the trees and falling off the brushes. Loud crashes in the woods as massive amounts of snow that had gathered on those conifers limbs began to tip over and fall to the ground. And when I crested that hill overlooking the city, some 1,000 to 1,500 feet above sea level, a hot, wonderful, airy breeze hit me in the face. 
And it felt like summer as I began to peel off my jacket and I stood there in awe of the Chinook wind. You see, the Chinook wind is that moment where in those frigid conditions where all hope is lost. Mr. Russell was tending those cattle but knew that if something does not change, death is upon us and all 5,000 of these cows that I'm playing nursemaid to will die a horrific death. We're not gonna get paid in the spring for there's no cattle to sell at market. But he was waiting on the inevitable that he knew was coming, though he didn't understand the time or the moment or the hour that it would show up. He knew that at some point this winter, those winds are going to shift and the winds that blow from the north will now blow from the east. And that temperature is going to change which allows the snow to melt and the grass to spring forth out of those icy clutches. Ladies and gentlemen, he was waiting for what was going to happen. I'm here to preach to somebody this afternoon, not for a long time, but I want this message to get into your spirit. There's some of you that have walked into Indiana Bible College and things don't look so great in your life. You're, you're starving to death spirit. Spiritually. The wolves have begun to howl and have circled your carcass waiting for you to give up, to let down, to walk away. But I'm here to tell somebody God didn't bring you this far to leave you in an icy clutches of a wintry grip, but he brought you to this place because you're standing at the precipice of your defining moment. There needs to be some IBC student that doesn't look at your school bill, doesn't look at your past mistakes, doesn't look at where you came from, the social demograph of your family but you look square in the eyes of the enemy and tell the devil you are a liar I'm not giving up I came thus far God's not going to let me down and I'm not walking away we may not be praying for a new wind, but we're praying for the same wind that blew on the day of Pentecost that comes rushing in. It'll reverse the curse of the enemy. It'll change the circumstances of your ministry. You don't know when it's coming, but I promise you the wind will blow again. So think about it on this triumphal entry. As he's preparing himself for the cross. There's many things that we could preach about in that moment. But Jesus knew what stood in front of him. He came to earth with a purpose. A single purpose. And that purpose was leading him to this culmination of events that was about to happen. He knew that he must return to this place. This Jerusalem. This place that has mocked him and cast him out. This place where leaders had gathered together. Some scorned him. Some hated him. Detested him. He understood that the religious leaders of the day were mounting an arsenal against him. An arsenal of words, of attacks on who he was. His claim to be the Messiah. They were coming to shut him down, to destroy him, to cast out all of his believers and followers. They were standing waiting as wolves circled the carcass, but that did not stop him. No, not one bit. He wasn't worried about what accusations they could bring against him. He was not worried about what pain they were going to put his physical body through. But he came to this earth to die that every living human being could oh hear me, could understand that there is purpose to your life. There is no hold on the grave. There is no defeat when it comes to Jesus. And so he made his way back to Jerusalem. Think of this picture as you would. He's standing at the edge of the plateau. 
said he lies before him. Luke in the 19th chapter draws our attention to Jesus, the Savior. He's God manifested in the flesh, but there he is looking over the city that has rejected him and walked away from him. More did not follow him than followed him. Religious leaders scorned and hated him. It says, and when he came near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even, thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but they are now hidden from thy eyes. That word weep means to wail or to weep out loud. You see, Jesus loved that city. He loved every stone, every street, every man, every woman, every child that was there. He loved the high priest, his gang of thieves, the murder slot that came together. How amazing is it to think that Jerusalem, the city that was built that should have never been, the city that had no natural fortification, the city that had no rivers that were running through it, the city that had to pull its water from places around outside of its borders, hills that hemmed it in on every side, the city that was full of ghosts and memories, the entire Old Testament resolved around this city, the city where Abraham met Melchizedek and David seized the hill of Zion. There lay a valley of Kedron and Solomon and his successors. King bowed his knee to Baal and Moloch and other gods of many kinds. There the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews all gathered together, elbowing their way for who was right. It was that city that he began to weep and to cry over because he knew the potential that it represented. It was not a city that scorned him, but it was a city that he called his where one day he was going to establish an earthly throne. It was his kingdom that was about to come to fruition, not through the timely death, but an untimely death of a savior that people misunderstood. They could not calculate why he came as a babe in a manger and not a king riding on a horse, but Jesus wept because he wished that they would understand his purpose. It was Passover time. It was the birthday feast of the Jews and the Jewish nation. Every sepulcher was painted white so that the careless pilgrims could avoid walking on them and becoming ceremonially defiled. Above everything stood the temple, this temple that represented but now had been rebuilt, embellished by Herod himself. It represented in the past something so pure, so incredible, so holy, so righteous. But now it represented something that was so tainted by the world that it was surrounded by. They had perverted its reason. They had taken its worship. Romans had marched in and told them the dollar mattered more than their spiritual walk and understanding. And so now money changers stood in the lobby and they sold goods to whoever would come. You see, they took worship that should be a sacrifice and difficult, something that you strive over, labor over, invest in, and they made it easy to purchase whatever you needed to offer in the form of worship to the God of your choosing, whether it be Jehovah or another idol that was placed on the outskirts. And Jesus gazed down upon Jerusalem. His name simply means peace, but it's a city that did not know the things that belong to its peace. More than 30 Sieges cannot be counted in all of its history. Numbers so high of those that are conquering and coming in against it. Yet here he is, the city that is crying for peace, but yet the Prince of Peace is standing on the hill weeping over those that are lost and dying. Can you imagine this picture that's painted before us in Scripture alone? The king of this world. 
having something to offer that no human being could ever offer. But yet they go blindly on their way, forgetting that there's a choice that they must make. Because there's no hope. There's no future. Your Messiah hasn't shown up on the white horse, but yet there he was coming in such an unlikely way. We could go on because he didn't stop on the hill and weeping, but he went into the temple courts. Anger began to grab hold of him. The Bible says to be angry and sin not, and ooh, he got close, no doubt. Because he saw what they had done in his house. This den of thieves now that was a place that was holy and righteous. But yet even in his anger, his message is not one of no hope. It's of grace and mercy and peace. He's talking about that moment when something is going to change. Well, they couldn't see it. They couldn't understand it. Most of them had no idea what he was preaching. But oh, they were going to feel it. Because on the day of Pentecost, as they gathered together in that upper room... And fire began to fall like cloven tongues. Something began to push through out of that inner court into the streets. It began to flow down every side street and unmarked and major thoroughfare of Jerusalem. Something began to encapsulate the people as that wind, that rushing wind, began to feel thousands were added daily. Oh, it was a change that was happening. It was like the Chinook wind that they had been waiting for. Some recognized it immediately. Some were confused by what it meant. Religious leaders couldn't understand it. Oh, but the church began to rejoice and things began to happen. But it didn't stop the enemy. No, no, no. You see, he wanted to shut the church down to destroy what was happening, to squelch revival, to shut down and stop the preaching in the name of Jesus. But Satan couldn't stop the church. No, no, he couldn't stop it. You see, revival was pouring out on every flesh. Revival was happening. Satan couldn't hinder the church. Persecution was mounted up. Soldiers marched in and captured those that were believers, forced them into coliseums, took their life, beheaded them, stoned them, tried to wreck it. But you cannot stop revival it's like the Chinook wind that blows in on an icy Sunday morning and hardened hearts begin to melt by the grace and mercy of God oh but there has to be a decision and so the question is who's waiting on the winds to blow again who's ready for revival to get a hold there needs to be somebody that's here that forgets about the path that you had to walk to get here and remember that God has a purpose for your life But let's pause, let's pause because I feel that we've gotten ahead of ourselves. And pause we must because I believe there's a beautiful analogy before Jesus walked onto that plateau and overlooked Jerusalem. So we find rather strange words in Mark 11, 2 through 7. This analogy is so poignant and I believe fitting for you that's here. I believe that there's every person that walked in the doors of IBC. I believe every one of you and everyone that has been, every alumni that has ever graduated or walked out of has been at this very place. In Mark 11, he said unto these two disciples, go over your way into the village over against you and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied whereon never a man has set loose him and bring him. See, Jesus was preparing himself, not the way the world expected him to be prepared, no. You see, he was counterculture. He defied the odds. He fought against the norm. 
You see, Jesus was going to do what no one else expected him to do. He was not going to ride in on a charger having amassed an army, though he could have. He was not going to be arrayed in purple and scarlet, and he was not going to be arrayed with armor and a sword and a shield. So a stallion is not what he looked for, but he looked for a colt. A colt that never a man has set. A colt that was unbroken, a colt that was not used for anything at the moment. A colt that was tied. And if any man say unto you, why do you this, saying that the Lord hath need of him? And straightway he will send thee hither. And so they went their way. They found the colt by the door without. They found it in a place where two ways meet. And they loosed him. And sure enough, according to the prophecy, and certain of them stood, and there said unto them, What do ye? Loosing the cold. And they said unto them, Even as Jesus has commanded. But the master had needed him. And he let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and they set upon him. And now he begins what Scripture would refer to his triumphal entry. He's setting on a colt that is wild. He's setting on a colt that has strength but has never been tested. He's setting on a colt that has a great future but his present is one to be desired. See, Job says it like this in chapter 39. He said, who has set the wild colt free or who hath loosed him the bands of the wild colt? Whose house I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwelling? He scourges the multitude of the city, neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture. He searches after every green thing. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by the crib, canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow, or hath he the valleys after thee? Will thou trust him because his strength is great, or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Will thou believe in him, and he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? What Job is saying is that you can't trust this wild colt. He doesn't regard the driver. He, he won't listen. He won't partake. You won't find him in the crowds, but he's out doing his thing, running wild with the others. He's angry at those that would try to harness him and keep him. He won't harrow the ground. He won't plow. He won't put the seed. You can't depend upon him. He's not going to bring your seed in. He's not going to prepare for winter. He's got a lot of strength. He's got a lot of passion. He's, he's capable of it, but he refuses to allow himself to be brought under subjection. You see, it's the colt that's wild. It's the potential's there. But he's at two places. He can go where God wants him or he can go his own way. You see, this is what I believe the message is this morning. Is that God is wanting you to be prepared. Because there's going to come a moment in your life and ministry where that door is going to open. And you're going to step through that door onto the other side. And everything that you prayed for and hoped for, God is going to allow to come to pass, but you will not accomplish unless three things happen in your life. You see, number one, the Bible tells us that there was something very specific that needed to happen in that cult's life. The first thing that needed to happen was he needed to be redeemed. You see, Jesus had to have use of him. 
I know there's some of you that have walked into IBC and I watched this year after year. If we were to culminate everyone that's here that has talent and ability, I believe that it would be 100% of you because the talents range from so many different areas of life. What you have, your expertise in technology and music and speaking and understanding and savvy of the world, the ability to, to plug in your device and to connect with people around the world and, and how you have mastered some things that 20 years ago would have been thought absolutely impossible. And there are one, some of you, not all of you, but some of you that are here that you have been used in your local church and people have even put a mark on you and said, watch them, they're going to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. But I believe this, that there's a decision that you must make, you have to make. I believe the enemy is warring for your soul. I believe that he comes at you at night trying to tempt you and to pull you down. There's offers that have been made for you to walk away and to live your life. And the problem is, is you're not ready to accept that offer offer because there's something that's still inside of you that has not been tamed. You must be redeemed. Jesus hath need of you. Oh, hear me. Hear this preacher. He's calling right now. He's asking you that think that have potential, but you've never submitted. You, you've got a place, but you've never plowed a field. You, you've, got, you've got this before you, this idea and dream, but, but you've never allowed God to shape and to mold you, and you've walked into high BC thinking, I've got it all figured out. I, I know who I am. I, I know what I can do. Don't they understand that I'm the answer to every problem? Doesn't the staff know and realize that I, I can do great things for the kingdom of God? But ladies and gentlemen, you haven't subjected yourself to the need of the master. You've just walked into this place on the merit of your talent alone. But God is saying there's so much more that I need to do. I need to break you down and bring you to a place where your talent doesn't matter any longer but all that matters is I've got to follow the master and if he has need of me I've got to surrender my life to his will the problem is is some of you will come and you will go and your names will be forgotten on the roster of some said roster that's placed in the alumni status of Indiana Bible College former students. No one will remember you. Your classmates will forget you. And then some obscure 20 year later, there'll be a moment where someone says, do you remember? I wonder what happened. And guess what? You will be a tragic statistic of those that have turned and made a decision to walk away. Your talent didn't matter. Your talent didn't take you to greatness. You never stood behind a pulpit and preached and no one was ever changed or saved. You never sang on a general conference floor and no one ever heard what song that was in your heart that you felt God was going to use to minister to the masses. Why? Because all you had in your mind is what I have is all I need in the kingdom. But it's not about talent. It's about allowing God to redeem you and redemption is painful. It's that moment where God allows you to fall on your face. Your choir tryout didn't go so well. Your preaching endeavor failed. You couldn't do what you thought. You told others that you were capable of doing and now you're embarrassed. But guess what? That's exactly where God needs you humbled, realizing that it's not me, but it's you that gets the glory for all. Isn't it amazing how we look at Scripture? Even in Genesis 4, we see the lineage of Cain. 
And here it is, Irad. His name means fugitive. A wild donkey. Oh, he had strength, Irad did. He had potential. He could pull a load if, if he was ever given the chance. He could take a rider as far as the eye could see and further. He could run all day, no doubt, and all night. Irad's strength. But the problem is he was wild. He wasn't redeemed. That's why we find in Exodus 34 and 20, it tells us that the firstborn of every donkey, either its neck should be broken or a sacrificial lamb offered. Oh, do you think it's coincidence that he put himself, the sacrificial lamb, on the representation of who you are? Because he said, I will become the sacrifice that will redeem every wild potential Donkey that's out there. Oh, hear me. I'm not calling you a donkey, but I'm calling you a donkey. Because even God can use donkeys. And when he sat on that donkey, that donkey didn't know who he was except he was the master. That donkey didn't know what he was supposed to do except I've got to obey. That donkey didn't understand the potential that he represented except Jesus hath need of me. Oh, hear me, hear me. When he rode in that morning, that triumphal entry, he was letting the world to know I can use the unusable. Oh, you hear me. People have told you you'll never amount to anything. There's no way that you'll recover. But God said it right there. I'm walking into this city. I'm putting myself upon something that nobody else would sit on. And I'm telling the world from this moment, I'll take what is wild, what is uncontrollable, what can't be harnessed, what you can't trust to bring in your seat, and I'll bring it under subjection. There needs to be somebody here this morning that says, God, redeem me, redeem me. Let me fall. Let me, let me fall on my face. Humble my pride in God so that I can see that it's not me that has the ability to do, but it's you through me. You see, it's not just the redemption that matters. Because you've had friends, you've had colleagues, you, you know people that have been redeemed. You sat on the same pew, you went to the same camp, you experienced the same services. You spoke in tongues at the same time. You had prophecies that were preached in His Word and you embraced them and believed them. You had dreams together, but oh, the redemption was there. You saw it all over their life, but something happened. You see, they, they were not released. They, they didn't allow themselves to be taken. You, you've got to set yourself up for the release. Redeeming is one thing, but the release is something that is completely different. You see, until you go back to the Master, until you make it back to jail, oh, hear me, some of us, we want to be redeemed and then we want to go do our thing. We, we, you see them come in from church uh, they walk in off the street some of them some are good people with good morals according to the world standard and good ideas and you'll baptize them in Jesus name some are your friends some are even sitting on the pew next to you here in chapel and they've been redeemed you can see the evidence on their life there they are they've been set free they've been released but oh they're not being led they're not being led oh the key is to be led you've got to allow some spiritual voice 
into your life. You may not understand the process. You may not even believe what they're telling you at times. You may question and wonder, why, why? Why don't they put me up? Why, why don't they promote me? Why am I not being used? It's because you're not being led back. You've got to be led back to Jesus. You see, that colt couldn't run around and do its own thing because you know what? That colt would have done the moment it was redeemed. It would have ran to the hills. It, it would have sought out the grass, as Jeremiah and Job said, but it was led back to Jesus. There needs to be a moment where you're okay being led back to Jesus. It may not be an opportunity. It may not be position, but it's being used by the master. Somebody lift your hands right now and call on that name that's above every name. name of Jesus. Oh, I know it doesn't go with popular thought opinion. I know that, that there's people that would tell you, you don't need it. You don't need to subject yourself. You don't need rules and regulations and guidelines. Oh, but guess what? You'll never be led by Jesus. You've been redeemed, but that's the end of your story. That's where it ends right there in misery. It ends right there in abject poverty and in worthlessness. But God is saying, I want to take you and I want to lead you. Come on, the kingdom of God needs young men and women that are willing to be led by the Spirit. Oh, I don't follow form and function that the world tells me. But I'll let myself be, I'll go into a city if that's where God leads me. I'll start a church if that's what God leads me. I'll, I'll use my talents for the kingdom of God if that's where God leads me. I'll shun this world in the ideology of the world if that's where God leads me. I'll go to a foreign mission field though it doesn't make sense if that's where God leads me. And so it's the release, but the release is not to go. You've got it in your mind. Release me. Release me. Come on, Pastor. Let, let me do it. I can change your church. I can give you revival. I can bring ideas. I, 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 I've got it. I, well, I, I, you see, I, I've learned some stuff. I, I know it's only been one semester, but you don't even know what I know. It's like uh, I'm, I'm, I know all that there is to know. I can help the church. I can, I can bring a new program. I can, I can, I can push this idea through, and, and, and we can have people that will come in. Oh, but the problem is your pastor can't release you because he knows exactly where you're going to go. You're going to be like those others that are seeking out things of its own, trying to get ahead, trying to, to push the envelope, trying to get ahead of the master. Jesus didn't need the donkey to run through the streets of Jerusalem. He needed to lead the donkey through the streets of Jerusalem. You see, the problem with us is sometimes we're ready to run. We're ready to go. I want to, come on, let's make this fast. Let's make it happen. Oh, don't you know time is ticking. God's coming back. I've got to be used, pastor. Come on, let me go. Release me. And God's saying it's not your time. You've got to be led. It's time for you to let me to lead you to the purpose. Your purpose is to herald the king. Some of you need to slow down. You're not ready. You, you need to step back because you, you don't understand it. You, you see through this glass darkly because it hasn't been revealed to you. Who's here? You feel like that you're, you're stuck. You, you don't even know what direction to go. You, you, don't, you don't even know how this works. What's the next step? Some of you are just crying out saying, God, God, why aren't you speaking to me? God, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And God says, 
I haven't changed my mind. I can't show you anything else because what's going to happen when you get released is you're going to run. That's, that's why God can't show you his vision, your future, because you can't handle it. Because some of you will run away and some of you will run towards. And God's saying, I need to lead you. It's just like that step, order thy steps in your word. and Lead me and guide me. It's, it's thy word as a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You know what God's wanting you to do? He's wanting you to let him lead you every step. Oh, I know it's terrifying. I wish that I could see three steps in front of me. Just three, God. I don't have to see, I don't have to see a mile. Just three. I, I've got to plan this. I've got to have my hand on it. I, I, need to make, I, mean, I need to make concessions for my education and my job. God, I need to pick the right spouse and, and I've got to choose the right location. And God's saying, I can't, I can't show you three steps. I can't even show Show you one step. You've got to take the step of faith. When I say pick your foot up, you pick it up. And when I say put it down, you put it down. Why? Because God's saying I can't release you because you'll just run. You'll run away from it because it's too big. And you know my talent can't take me that far. I don't have anything to offer. I can't preach those kind of messages. I can't change lives. I can't give you anything that someone else can't give you. But that's when God says that's why I'm going to order your steps. And I'm going to anoint you when you need to be anointed. And I'm going to use you when I need to use you. But you've got to just be redeemed and then released. Come on, somebody needs to be willing to say, God, I'm not running anywhere. I'll take one step, but only if you let me. I'll take one step, but only if you tell me. But if you don't, I'm staying right here until you tell me to move. Place for two roads. Decision. Decision. Decisions. Some of you are chasing decisions and not the will of God. You're just wanting to make a decision. I've got to go. I've, I've got to go. Pastors are calling you up. People are asking you to come. And you're saying yes, yes, yes. And you know what you're saying yes to? Your demise. Because that's not the door that God has opened for you. Because if he didn't speak it, then he didn't tell you to leave. He's wanting you to take that step and just be willing to follow. It doesn't matter if everybody else has position. It doesn't matter if every senior that graduates but you has a place to go, place to preach, a place to sing, a group to lead. It doesn't matter what God's playing for your life. You've got to be willing to wait on the Lord. That's where you're you're going to renew strength to mount up as wings as eagles to run and not be weary come on God is wanting you for the long term he doesn't want you just to be a flash that burns out overnight but God says who's going to be in this race come on who's going to finish till the end who's going to keep walking who's going to keep persevering because it's not easy but it's what God has called you Oh, I know the cows are starving and the wolves are circling, but I'm just going to wait on the Chinook. I'm going to wait on it. You see, I can't see it. I can't feel it. I don't know when it's coming, but I believe it's coming. You can be seated. We took some friends of ours up north, and he gave me permission to use this. We talked about Mount McKinley, Denali now. They changed the name. Thank you, President Obama. It was a good call. It's the highest peak in North America. How many seen Denali? Where's my Alaska people at? I've went to the park. I've stood in the park. I've been to Talkeetna. There have literally been entire summers that I've never seen Denali. Never. 
I felt like that I was lying to people at some point. I'm like, yeah, you want to go see the highest mountain in North America? I'll take you up there. We'd go up there, and we'd see nothing but clouds. As a matter of fact, it's about 270 miles from Anchorage. On the right conditions, you can stand out over Cook Inlet on the bluff, and there it is, massive. That's like if you stood in Chicago, that Denali Peak would be in Evansville. Y'all get that? There it is, almost 22,000 feet high. I'd take people there, and I'm like, look. And all they would see is just gray clouds. And they're like, is that little, is that little peak, is that it? No, that's only about 1,800 feet. Oh, oh, oh is, that, is that it? No, that's only about 9,000 feet. Well, where is it at? Well, it's, 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 it's right there, 22,000 feet almost. You just can't see it because of the clouds. I know there were people that thought, sure, the clouds. Until Sister Wilson stood there. And we're standing out on this patio. And we're only really about 20 miles from the park. A little bit more, about 26 miles from the mountain. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, oh, I wish you could be here when it's clear. Because it, it, it's just incredible. She's staring at those clouds. And she's saying, oh, I, I believe you. You see, I know there's a mountain there. Because the sign right here says Denali Peak. I, I know that it's there because all of these people come here thousands a year to see it. But I'm having a hard time. Because it's obscured from view. Ladies and gentlemen, you're, you're going to get discouraged at Indiana Bible College. Because you know God's got you in His hands. But you're having a hard time because you can't see the peak. Because there's clouds. You, you know what you're called to do, but, but you're having a hard time because you like to plan out all the details. And you want to write the list. And then there's the other person that has no idea even why you're here. And that's just as bad as the one that's got all the details written down. Because God's going to have to smack you upside the head to get you to focus that, hey, look, there is the peak. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. This is what we're trying to do every day in the classroom is get you to a place where you believe. You believe. Come on, you see that? You see those ribs sticking out? I can't even hardly walk. I'm so, I'm so hungry right now. I want God to give me my future. I want God to open the door so that I can just get a glimpse of His glory. And the wolves, it's like the enemy has hit me harder since I've been here than I've ever experienced at home. I should just go home because it's easier. Let me tell you something. God didn't call you here because it's easy. 
And why in the world would you ever think that the moment you walked into IBC to surrender your life and your ministry to God that the enemy would stop fighting? No, he's coming against you. He's going to attack you with everything that he has. But that doesn't mean that the peak is gone. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know where you are at. Oh, it means that he's trying to shape you and mold you. You see the Chinook is coming. God's preparing it. You've got to just, God, I know that there's purpose. I know my calling's before me. I know what you placed in my heart. I know that there's something that you need me to do. And God, I'll wait on you. The third thing, and here's the end. The third thing is this cult had to be ruled. He had to be redeemed. He had to be released, but now he had to be ruled. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good when you you go back to your home church. You tell your pastor, I, I think this is what God wants to do in my life. And so I'm, I'm, I'm ready to step into it. And your pastor says, I don't think so. I don't think you're ready. Those are the hardest words that you'll ever hear. But you absolutely better be thankful that your pastor has enough courage to say it. You see, some of you are trying to push it and trying to say, no, 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 you, you, you're, you're not spiritual enough. You, you, you don't understand how I've grown. You, you don't see the ability and the talents. And you know what? Your pastor doesn't. He doesn't need to. Because what he does is he can see something spiritually that you don't have the maturity to see yourself. And he can see the pitfall that stands in front of you. If you step out, you've got to learn to bring yourself under rule of your spiritual authority. Oh, I, I know it doesn't sound right, but that, that little donkey, can you imagine? that? I don't know if you've ever been around horses before, but horses get spooky. They get terrified, especially horses that have never been ridden and never been around people. There's those horses that run out in the field and you bring them in and, and crazy little things will spook a horse. I, I've watched a horse that has been trained, a horse that has been ridden before and he's walking down a trail and I've seen a rock fall or, or something flutter in the grass and that horse will spook and jump and fall and that they get all crazy acting. Their eyes start bugging out and they start breathing. They, they want to run. They, they just want to start moving forward and you've got to pull that rein back. And can you imagine what this little colt was doing that never a man has said. He never plowed a field. He'd never been in a crowd like that. But when Jesus got on him and began to ride him through that marketplace and down those streets, can you imagine the people that were pushing up against that little colt and, and trying to touch Jesus and trying to get their hands on the Savior and they're waving palm trees and branches and throwing it down and their garments are being cast at the foot of that colt and things are fluttering. Can you imagine how terrified? But there was something that brought it under subjection to the rule of the master and he didn't let the circumstances of life scare him or terrify him or push him off, but he said, I'll just keep walking. You see, that's where we've got to be. We can't let small things distract us and pull us away. God's saying, I've, I've got you on a path and you need to walk this path until I'm finished with you. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you that you're supposed to stay at IBC for the rest of your life. I'm not telling you that you're supposed to stay at IBC for four years. But what I am telling you is you better stay as long as God says stay. You better get some things right in your life. You better learn to subject yourself to the moving of the Spirit. You better let correction be spoken out. You better let God redeem you, release you, and rule you. You better let yourself be in a place where you're moldable and pliable, where you can take the tough things and God can allow men and women to speak into your life things that are not comfortable but stretches you and causes you to grow because God has need of you.
here it is, I'm done. I want every person to stand. Purchased a book a few months back. I've started to read it four times. I don't really need to read the book because I already know what the book says. You see, I follow this gentleman for years. I've listened to his podcast. I've listened to his, what do you call them? TED Talks. I've listened to motivational speeches. He's told the story over and over again. And the book has got good points. I don't recommend it to you, but it's got good points. His name is Aaron Rawson. How many know Aaron Rawson? You know, you know who he is? He's a young man that decided that he wanted to pursue his passion for the outdoors, and he did. He loved to be out in the wilderness. And he even put his engineering career on hold so that he could pursue nature, camping, hiking, rock climbing, mountain biking. Sounds like my kind of guy. He loved to do things spontaneous, and so he would wake up in the morning and whatever would hit him so he would load everything that he would possibly need just like Brother Sleep he throws mountain bike in there he throws hiking clothes in there rock climbing clothes he'd take off he woke up in the morning and decided he said I'm going to go to the canyon landing of Utah I'm, gonna, I'm just going to see what happens I'm going to ride my bike a little bit I'm going to find these slot canyons and I'm going to do some rock climbing I'll camp out for five days. So he took the appropriate gear, pulls up the trailhead, and takes off on his adventure. He didn't tell anybody really where he was going. He didn't tell anybody when he would be back. Although he didn't mention that he would probably be back in about five days-ish. Some friends knew that he was going out somewhere so he gets out of his car and takes off in the trailhead and he meets a couple of people and talks to them and tells them where he's going they hike for a little bit they climb for a little bit and they leave he's by himself he's working his way up this slot canyon and it's getting very narrow and very treacherous now it's where his rock climbing skills come into play he's good at it so here he is late April, climbing alone. He reaches up to grab this massive boulder that's wedged in this canyon so he can pull himself up to jump up to climb to another foothold or handhold. He thinks this massive boulder is pinned there and has been for years, but what he didn't realize is this boulder was barely stuck in the slot canyon. As he reaches his hand up to grab, it shifts and he falls. And as he's falling, this several hundred, close to 800 pound boulder lands on his hand and pins him to the wall of that canyon. He's stuck. He can't move it. He can't pull his hand out. He's stuck. He's trying to figure out different ways and so he's wedging rocks and trying to find a stick to use as a pry bar. The only thing he has is a small, cheap, multi-tool that's all he has 
He said it's like the multi-tool, not even a Leatherman. He said it's the multi-tool that you buy a water bottle and you get a free multi-tool because they can't sell them. And that's all that he has. So he rigs up a pulley system. He, he has some straps, and so he tries to throw it up to a higher anchor point, and he can't move. Day one goes by. Day two, day three. He's running out of food. He has no food. His water is pretty much depleted. He said, I, I, I don't even know if it was the voice of God or another voice of Aaron. He's like, I, I don't know. He's not a religious person. But day six, day six rolls around. Nobody's coming for him. And he decides, I've got one chance. He said, I made the decision. It's my hand or my life. So he makes the decision on day six that he's going to cut his hand off with his multi-tool. He said, that little blade is so dull. He said, I... I can saw it on my arm and it won't even. He said, but what was happening was my hand was completely rotting. And he said, and when I took, and this is gross, I'm, I do apologize. He said, when I took that multi-tool and began to poke my thumb and there was no feeling, he said, I was able to poke it very easy into my hand and I heard the hiss because it had rotted and started to spread and fester. He said, and I realized that I hated that hand because it was going to kill me if I didn't do something about it. The story goes from bad to worse to horrific. Because little by little, he starts to saw through it and to tear through the rotten flesh of his hand. And then he realizes that there's no way to deal with the bone. So he begins to, yes, move on. Wedge rocks and use leverage. And he snaps the bone, both of them, in his arm. He said there was no hesitation. There was no, I should or I shouldn't. He was like, it's break the bone. Yes, Absolutely. He said, I didn't even question myself. He said, to me, that amputation was the most beautiful experience. He said, because I contrasted it as being dead in a grave for six days and then having my life back. He said, I realized that if I don't do something drastic, because several days before he carved on the side of that wall his name and the date, because he wanted somebody, if they found him, to know who he was and when he died. <laughs> it's like that decision. He was there. Do I let this kill me? Or do I do something about it? 
In a weird way, you're in the decision process right now. And there's some things that you need to take out of your life that are going to be painful. Some things you need to walk away from. Because if you don't, it'll take you to your grave. But the problem is it's going to cost you some pain. In his book, he describes, he said, every time I would cut through a nerve ending, it was like a lightning bolt that would shoot through my body with the most intense pain that I've ever felt in my life. He said, I would even pass out for a moment and come back to. That's, that's a horrific story. But you know what's even more horrific? Is watching people hold on to something that will destroy their soul, drag them down to hell when you have the choice to let go and to walk away. See, there's somebody here, you've got to let go of your talent. You've, let it, you've got to let go of your name. You, you, you've got to let go of what people have said about you in your past. You, you've got to let go of pain. and You've got to let go of pride. You, you've, you've got to let go of of some hurts that are so deep that you could stay bitter and you could be justified in your bitterness, but oh, it's there holding you to your death. Oh, is there somebody that's here that you're saying, I, I know, I'm at, that, I'm at that road. I'm at that road right now. This is it. Which way? And Jesus is saying, come on. Come on, I've got an answer. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to release you. But you've got to subject yourself to my will because I need to rule you. Come on, how many is willing to say, God, I'm breaking free. I'm, I'm going to let go. Come on, I, I don't want to hold on to these things any longer. God, I, I want to make the decision. Come on, it's painful. I know there's things that you're racing through your mind. You're thinking about and you're at that place where you're saying, what is it? What is it? And you know you're even denying right now what it is. And you're saying, I can't let go of it. You don't understand. It, it means something to me. It, it's more. It's, it's too great. The price, the price is too much. I can't pay that. I, I can't let go of that. I can't make that decision. You don't understand. It's my identity. That's, that's what I put my hope in. It's everything that I'm known by. Oh, but God is saying, are you going to let me become your God? Are you going to let me become your Savior? Are you going to walk away of those things that you've held on to come on there needs to be someone you fall on your face and you begin to ask God to forgive you and cleanse you change me change me God redeem me God help me Lord I need you right now come on you've got to be released but you have to be led come on you've got to be released but you have to be led you've got to come to Jesus and say here I am I surrender all. I surrender all. I give you my life. Come on, I want you to lift up. Lift up your hands if you can. I want somebody to begin to call upon that name. I want you to let go of your false identity. I want you to let go of your ideas of who you are and what you came here to accomplish. And I want you to say, God, I surrender to you. I give you my all. I give you my all. I lay my life down. 
I've got nothing to offer except all of this. Oh, you are what you mean. my ability. Who I am. It's okay if you can't see the end result. It's okay if you don't know how this thing works. This is where you've got to say, I trust in you. Come on, I'll preach the gospel. God, I'll take the gospel to an unknown land. I'll take it to a community that's dying. All I'll resurrect a church that people have given up on. I'll say that no one else is saying it. Will you need me? I'll set the example when no one else wants to live by it. Because I'm not compromising, I won't give up. I'm not enough unless you come. 